My name is Emma, and I am a marijuana addict. Today, I'm 360 days free and clear of marijuana. And, um, you know, I often share in the phone meetings uh, just how emotional that makes me um, because I never thought that I would have almost a year without weed. Um, towards the end, weed was my best friend. I could count on weed you know, and getting high to keep me comfortable and keep me um, company in any situation that I was going through. Um, my story has, um, you know, it's uh, laced with tales of other drugs and um, alcohol as well. Um, I'm also an alcoholic, an alcoholic and an addict. And um, my first love was always alcohol. Um, you know, I didn't pick up weed right away. Um, when I was reflecting on, um, you know, the story of experience, strength, and hope that I wanted to tell you all tonight, um, I was thinking about just, yeah, the fact that I, I didn't, weed wasn't the first drug that I picked up. Um, and the fact that I had these periods, um, you know, that I would go without smoking at all. Um, but I was still using alcohol in those, in those periods in between. Um, I remember the first time that I got high, it was, um, it was on this little island next to, um, next to the road that I grew up on. And, um, it was with my, my high school boyfriend and his friends. And, um, the first time I smoked, I got high and, um, I liked it. I didn't like it as much as I liked drinking, but I liked it a lot. And um, then began one of those periods when, um, you know, I didn't really smoke that much, and I leaned more into alcohol. But then I picked weed back up um, later on in high school, and I got in with some interesting people. Um, you know, I'd like to go to go back even further before, uh, you know, before high school into my childhood and just say that, you know, I lived in a privately defined world for most of my childhood. Um, I was really protected from reality by my parents. I'm an only child. Um, I do have a half-sister, but she's much older than I am. So, so I lived in a very, um, I had a very privileged upbringing. Um, and I found in my childhood that I always, you know, wanted to be somebody I wasn't in some place that I wasn't. Um, as I got older, you know, I had large circles of friends. I was really popular. Um, but I also had a lot of toxic relationships, you know, both romantic relationships and, um, you know, just friendships. And um, smoking weed sort of helped me um, fit in and um, ignore the way that I really felt in those relationships. Um, and, you know, to kind of go back to where I was a moment ago, you know, when I really got the smoking weed halfway through high school, um, I was doing it with people that, you know, I, I wouldn't, it was a friendship that was based on my marijuana use. I don't think I would necessarily have been friends with those people in sobriety. Um, so, 
smoking weed sort of helped me, um, you know, become one of the boys or one of the girls in social situations that I was a part of. Um, anyways, um, there's a whole lot, you know, I, I want to focus on the message and not so much the mess. So I'll spare you a lot of the details, um, you know, in between high school and college. Um, but in college, uh, my alcoholism really got out of control. And um, I was forced to sign a contract with the dean of students at my college um, to say that I would no longer drink alcohol on campus. Now, mind you, the contract said I would not participate, partake in any mind, mind-altering substances. So, of course, you know, being the addict that I was, I read between the lines, and I was like, you know, well, alcohol, you know, that's, that's a substance that alters your mind, but, but weed doesn't alter your mind. You know, weed is medicine. There's all these ways that we can read between the lines with weed um, and make it out to be less significant, less addictive, uh, less harmful. And the fact of the matter is, you know, as, as most of the people who are listening to me right now know, weed is, uh, you know, it'll take you out. It'll take you out. Maybe not as quickly as alcohol, maybe more slowly, but ultimately it will create you into this apathetic, you know, dreamer, loser that can't accomplish your dreams. Um, you know, your dreams literally go up in smoke. So anyways, in college, when I was forced to sign this contract, that was when my weed smoking really ramped up because, um, you know, I, I, I'm the type of addict that when I'm in active addiction, whatever I can get my hands on, I'm using, you know, whether it's prescription pills, whether it's ecstasy, cocaine, you know, whatever I can get my hands on, I'm using it. Alcohol just happened to be the most, you know, the easiest thing for me to get my hands on. Weed, the second, you know, actually probably towards the end, the easiest thing for me to get my hands on. So anyways, I fell into this pattern of daily weed use. And um, after college, uh, you know, it got even worse because I started dating my, my best friend, you know, who I got high with every day when I went home, but he was also my weed dealer. So he had a lot of weed at his disposal all the time. You know, weed, um, wax, we had all sorts of dab rigs, we had all sorts of bongs, we, you know. And um, we were the type of smokers that, you know, if it was a really bad day, it was like a two or three joint, you know, just sit down and both of us would just face, a, you know, two or three joints at the end of the day. If it was a good day, it would just be, you know, we would each roll personal spliffs or joints and, and smoke those down in front of the TV. Um, and my life really, really fell apart in that relationship. You know, I was still drinking alcohol after I got out of college. Um, the contract that I had to sign with the dean only held me for so long. And, um, I think I recognized, though I couldn't admit to myself that I was an alcoholic when I had to sign that contract. Of course, I went back to drinking because I didn't know a solution, you know, a spiritual solution existed. Um, and I, I had this toxic relationship with my ex-boyfriend. 
Um, you know, we went across the country. I think we must have had like a pound of weed hidden in the center console of his car. We drove all the way across the country, camped for seven weeks, um, drove about 14,000 miles. Man, I mean, you know, that, that was when I think the weed was still working. Um, that was fun. And in a period of three years, everything just crashed and burned because I lost control of my ability to use weed you know, I could never really use it responsibility, but, you know, now that I had unrestricted access to as much weed as I wanted, I was smoking morning, noon, and night. You know, I was, I was, despite the voice inside of my head, you know, constantly knocking on my shoulder and being like, you know, this is going to catch up to you sometime. Um, you know, I, I developed psychosis. Um, I was absurdly depressed. I wasn't working. Um, you know, once I did get a job, I couldn't go into work in the morning because I was so tired from staying up the whole night before smoking. So, you know, I would text my boss two hours before I was supposed to go in and, um, you know, make up some sort of excuse. I was, I was sick so many times. Um, and, uh, never, did it occur to me that the sickness was addiction, that it was weed? Um, while I was in this toxic relationship with my ex-boyfriend, I was, I was, you know, in, I was in graduate school. The miracle of all of this is that somehow, you know, I made it through uh, college and I got a bachelor's and a master's degree behaving like this. Um, and in graduate school, uh, you know, I would be high most of the day when I was doing my studies. I, I picked a graduate school that was, you know, it was, um, it was an easy school for me. It was nearby. Uh, I was in the codependent toxic relationship with my boyfriend. It was also my best friend and my weed dealer, and I wanted to be nearby. You know, now looking back, also probably because I wanted to have access to weed, you know, I could just drive home. It would only take me an hour and a half, and I could drive back up. But I was basically high all the time. Um, and pot really gave me in that time period the ability to be alone with myself because I never could. I could never be alone with myself. If I wasn't high or drunk, I was anxious. I was nervous. I was on edge. Um, I needed something to take the edge off. And, um, you know, I want to mention my bottom with booze because that impacted my bottom with weed, um, after my ex-boyfriend and I broke up, uh, he left one night when I was in a blackout. Um, I was also dealing with um, disordered eating at the time. So I would just, you know, not eat all day. And then I would drink a bunch of alcohol, uh, which obviously caused me to blackout. And one night, um, you know, I remember I think I'd eaten like two clementines and then I decided to go to the bar and drink six IPAs. Um, and sometime after that, I, uh, I tried to drive. I used to drink and drive all the time. And, um, yeah, uh, I remember threatening my life. I was completely psychotic. Threatened my life to my boyfriend because he was threatening to leave. We had a short bus, like a mini bus, that we had converted into a camper and we were going to live in. It was all out of this, 
you know, that was kind of our dream after our cross-country trip that we were going to live in a, in a bus and do it again and be nomads, you know, modern hippies. Um, and, yeah, I, uh, I don't even really remember that night. I remember coming to when he called my parents because they threatened my life. It was, it was you know, it was, it was uh, a horrendous nightmare. And, um, you know, I remember him telling me that I needed to get help. I remember that night scrounging for nugs. You know, he took all his pot with him. And he had a safe that he locked because he was going to come back for his other stuff later. But I was just scrounging everywhere, tears streaming down my face, like, for nugs because I knew that my supply was going to run out. Like, I, I honestly knew the relationship was toxic, but I was willing to stay in it to keep my supply. Like, weed was my, my blood. Like, it was more important than my blood. Um, and, you know, that happened. He told me I needed to get help. I admitted I needed to get help. I did not admit I was powerless. I did not get into, I did not go to a meeting. Um, I tried to do it all on my own. Ten days later, you know, I, I picked up another drink. Um, and that was, my, that was my last bottom. I picked up a drink. I couldn't stop. I drank six more. I smoked. I remember rolling a joint before I drove home, completely hammered. Uh, I crashed my car. I don't know where I crashed my car. Uh, the, like the, the, the whole right front fender of my car was smashed in. Uh, I broke my steering column. I don't know if I hurt anybody. I, I, I hope to God I didn't. Um, I drove home with a broken steering column. I don't know how I didn't get a DUI. I don't know how I didn't get arrested. Um, you know, I'd been arrested a few times in the past, and I could not afford to get arrested again. Um, and I, uh, I went home that night completely uh, out of my mind. I was living with my parents because my boyfriend and I had just broken up. And um, I went upstairs to my dad, tears streaming down my face, and I said, Dad, I think I hit a curb. I was a huge liar when I was in active addiction. I think I hit a curb. You know, he was like, oh, no, honey, it's okay. We'll look at it in the morning. Next morning, you know, I'm sleeping it off, hung over in my bed, and my door, my bedroom door bursts open. My parents said to me, you know, you need to go to a rehab or you need to, you know, you need to get into a program. And um, I had been to a psychiatric ward in college over suicidal ideation, and um, I told my parents that I would look into the program. So I went to my first AA meeting that day. No car. My parents drove me to a meeting every day for, yeah, until my, until my car got fixed. Um, thank God I could fix it. I'm sitting in that car today. Um, so that was my bottom with weed, and... Um, or my bottom with booze, I'm sorry. And uh, I kept smoking. I kept smoking. I don't think I could have quit alcohol and weed at the same time. I was such an addict. <laughs> uh, I was coming out of a toxic codependent relationship. I cried every day for probably a year. Um, and smoking weed at night 
you know, helped soothe my mind, my, my fragile, shaken, traumatized mind. Um, and, you know, I saw people in AA that were doing the quote-unquote marijuana maintenance program. And uh, I thought it was okay at first. And then I realized, you know, I, I started to hear people in AA say, yeah, it's not, you know, it's not cool to smoke weed. Like, you're not really sober. And, of course, I made the justification that it's my medicine and, you know, helps me sleep at night. I had terrible, terrible inability to sleep and sleep anxiety before I quit smoking weed. Um, and uh, over those two and a half years, I... I, I um, I really, I, I hit my bottom with weed. Like I said, it was slower. It wasn't, it wasn't a one punch to the gut like it was with alcohol. I um, watched my dreams go up in smoke, and um, I watched myself become unable to connect with people, um, you know, and, and form friendships. Um, I spent a lot of my time isolated. I didn't like to go out. Um, you know, whenever something emotionally you know, something that was difficult to deal with came up, um, I would smoke weed at it. I was in a really deep depression. Um, you know, I, I struggle with this incredibly critical voice inside of my head um, and a lot of anger and, um, you know, anger at the trauma that I have faced in my life um, and anger you know, at, at myself for having so much and, uh, you know, behaving the way that I was. I was. I was angry at myself for not living up to my moral values and the ethics that I had been taught for my entire life by both of my parents. Um, I watched both of my grandparents pass away. Um, I didn't really participate in the final years of their life because I was so stoned. Um, and I never really wanted to quit smoking weed. I just wanted to learn how to cut down. Um, and I found it was physically impossible for me to stop using. You know, um, I'm sure a lot of you can relate, but towards the end, um, you know, I tried all sorts of things like regulating my, giving my stash to my friends, um, you know, giving all of my paraphernalia to my friends, giving my grinder to my friends. Um, you know, I, I, I knew that I needed to stop. I knew that I wasn't being true to my sobriety. Um, I also, in my mind, it was better than me going out and drinking again um, or drugging, you know, with a more significant drug again. Um, but, yeah, I tried, you know, giving my stash to my friends. I tried... Um, I tried only buying a little bit, and then I would just buy more small amounts. So then I would buy large amounts. And then uh, towards the end, it was like I would buy an eighth, and I would be through it in, like, two days because, you know, like I would have it, and then I would have to smoke it. Like I would have to smoke it. I couldn't wait. You know, I'd be thinking about the next joint when I was rolling the first one. I'd be thinking about the fourth joint when I was rolling the first joint. Um, I couldn't get high enough anymore because I was just perma-stoned. And I, I couldn't access who I wanted to be or become. And I was in a position where I was handed a lot of good, great things. I'm a really, really lucky person. 
uh, right before I quit smoking weed or when I was still, you know, I was smoking weed right before I stopped, um, my, um, my partner and I purchased an 82-acre farm 20 minutes from my family. Um, beautiful property. We have 80 chickens. We have two great Pyrenees. We have a beautiful contemporary barn home. And I was sitting in the garage smoking all day, not going, you know, not going outside, not tending the farm like I needed to, not taking care of the animals, like literally watching it all, you know, time transpire and pass in front of me and not being able to be a character in my own life. So by the grace of God, I Googled Marijuana Anonymous because Alcoholics Anonymous worked wonders in my life. 12-step program, my fellows, my sponsor, God, they, they all mean the world to me. Um, and I called in. I still had a little bit of my stash left, and every ounce of me intended to smoke it. But I got on a phone meeting, and I, I just like in Alcoholics Anonymous, I heard a person share, and I could relate to their story, and I felt like I knew them my whole life. And um, I introduced myself, and I said, hey, I'm Emma. I'm a newcomer. Like, I can't remember if I introduced myself as a newcomer or if I asked a question after the meeting. And um, somebody called me. A woman called me after, you know, I said, <laughs> I said hey, my name's Emma. I uh, have two and a half years without alcohol. I've been sober for two and a half years, but I can't quit smoking. And this woman called me, and she said, honey, you're not sober. <laughs> you know, she was like, you're not really sober, you know. And, and I, uh, when she said that, I knew, I knew um, I'd been living, been living a lie. Um, and um, I really got real with myself. I quit smoking a day before my 28th birthday because I just realized, you know, I'm, I'm rapidly approaching 30. I quit booze when I was 25. I'm really tired of myself. And uh, a lot of the two and a half years, you know, that I spent sober from alcohol, I was doing that to be, to look shiny to people that had time in the program. You know, I didn't want to let people down, let them know that I was smoking weed when I wasn't drinking. And, um, yeah, on December 9th last year, I threw myself into meetings, threw myself into meetings. Um, you know, I, I knew, I knew I had to, I wanted it, and I had to be hungry for it every day, hungry for sobriety every single day, for my sobriety, not showing off to other people. Um, and my advice for, you know, the strength that I would try to give to other people is don't be afraid to share where you're at. Or, you know, if you're afraid, share anyways. And um, don't be afraid to be vulnerable. You know, I heard the other day, we're not all sick on the same day. So, you know, if you're feeling sick or you've got a weight on your shoulder, share it. And some of us can help you carry it out of the room or carry it off 
your shoulders so that you can live the rest of your day with a little less weight on them. Um, you know, this disease doesn't leave our bodies after a certain amount of work. That's something that I've really come to terms with lately. We have to be in and work and live in the program every single day. I wake up sick every single day. I wake up in my own suffering and my own shit every single day. And it's my responsibility to lift that shit off of my shoulders and to dig through it, through a connection, you know, to, through finding contact, finding and making contact with my higher power, my fellows, going to a meeting. If I can't make it to a meeting, I get on a phone meeting. Um, you know, the critical inner voice that drove me to use for so many years and that's so embedded in my DNA tells me that I'm incapable of everything and that I'm better off numbing out and doing nothing. Now that manifests as like binging ice cream or mindlessly watching TV, getting lost in some privately defined world doesn't just have to involve drug use. Um, you know, I still battle that irrational voice that used to control me. But the solution, and here's where the hope comes in, you know, the simplest prayer, I can't, it can, I think I'll let it, right? Like, I'm powerless, I can't do this, I don't have control over this. My higher power, whatever it is, the stars, the moon, the universe, the group, that can take this away, that can relieve me of my insanity, and I think I'll let it. Um, you know, I try to live in an honest, open, and willing way. I've never lived this way before. I was always living for others and always trying to be perfect. Um, and what I've really found through sobriety and um, through living in the program is this ability to be my own best friend. You know, for so many years, weed and alcohol were my best friends, you know. Um, I used to suppress my emotions using weed and booze. And I never really acknowledged anything I was going through or anything I was feeling. So what I found, you know, after I put down all of the mind-altering substances was, you know, I had to face the emotional, the emotional void that I'd been filling for so many years. And that's really taken work. But um, I don't feel that insane pressure that I used to to put myself... I used to put on myself to make other people happy, to be a doormat. You know, all of that's lifting because there's an unseen force that guides my life forward. Um, I don't spend too much time looking in the rearview mirror. I focused so much, so much on, um, you know, uh, what I'd done wrong in the past, how I'd been responsible for um, my relationship with my ex terminating. And today I feel free because my life is a living amends. Um, being sober is a living amends for me. Um, you know, I get to rediscover who I am every day. I'm still on the journey. I'll be on that journey for the rest of my life. Um, I want to, you know, end by, end by saying that probably the biggest gift has been, um, you know, really being able to be there for my family. Um, I have an amazing, amazing family. My dad's in his 80s. My mom's in her 60s. We're so close. Um, and for a lot of time, you know, from when I started boozing and 
and smoking in high school. Um, I just, I, I saw my parents look at me and they looked at me with unrecognition. They couldn't recognize who I was um, because I was a really good little girl. And then something just came over me. The people-pleasing came over me. Uh, lack of self-confidence came over me. And um, my mom and I used to fight all the time in high school. We used to literally get into, like, physical, you know, I'd push the dresser in front of my bedroom door and she would break the door off its hinge. Like, she was just, she's so angry at how I was behaving. I don't blame her. Uh, she, parent, you know, being my parent was, like, her, her job. She was a, you know, she was a mom first and foremost. And, and she called me today. We called each other today. And she said to me, Emma, you know, you know we were put on this earth, like, for each other. Like, and that just meant so much to me. Um, that she looks at me as her person today and somebody that she can confide in and trust. And I get to be here for my dad's life you know, like I wasn't able to be for my grandparents' last years of life. My sister can confide in me. I didn't even have a relationship with my sister or my uncle. So, you know, we were talking the other day in a meeting about a life beyond our wildest dreams. And, you know, in MA we say marijuana makes dreamers out of doers. But today I don't just dream, you know, I'm not living in a fantasy world. I get to live with my own two feet firmly planted in reality, you know, making an impact through living the principles of the program and uh, trying to give those principles to other people through my actions and direct word. And um, I'm really, really, really grateful um, to be a sober woman today. So I'll wrap it up with that. Thank you so much.